Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. And welcome everyone to the latest edition of March Madness 365. I'm your host, Andy Katz. As we continue our March Madness Moments Countdown, we are in the Final Four, and we've got quite a Final Four here. Out of our round of 64, it's our number one seed, a former 16 seed, the UMBC Retrievers, knocking off Virginia in 2018, the first ever 16 over a one. That is the winner of the round of 64. In the round of 32 slash Sweet 16, because we had to group two rounds into one, because we only got four regions. And the winner of the round of 32 slash Sweet 16, because we had to group two regions together, is the Trey Burke game-tying shot for Michigan over Kansas in 2013. That propelled Michigan ultimately, because they won the game, of course, into the Elite Eight. The winner from our Elite Eight grouping on the other side of the bracket is the 2005 Illinois comeback over Arizona. That will be matched up against the Chris Jenkins 2016 National Championship win over North Carolina. Three-pointer for the win. Epic, epic, epic. So that's our Final Four, a great Final Four. So here's what's interesting, looking back first before we get to our guests and looking forward. So the shot by Jenkins was a two-seed. I had put Texas Western as a one in 66. And this was a great final four because in this region, we had Chris Jenkins, Magic Bird, 79, Texas Western, NC State. NC State beat Texas Western. And then you had Chris Jenkins over Magic Bird. So then you came down to Jenkins versus NC State. And I think this is a classic case of new generation, younger generation. But I think it's the right choice. Um, I went Texas Western 1 for the history of it, the civil rights aspect of it in 66. But in pure drama, never done before, three-pointer for the win, the Jenkins shot should have prevailed, and it did. So not surprised that it's on to the Final Four. In the Elite Eight, I mean, this was interesting because, you know, we, we had, you could argue, an upset here. The number one seed was the Christian Leitner shot, buzzer beater, Duke over Kentucky in 92, which was replayed over the weekend. So there was a lot of buzz about that. The Illinois-Arizona game did not get the same kind of love in its re-airing. And yet, those that witnessed it, whether in person or on television, remember 
What an unbelievable game that was. Comeback by Illinois. While the Leitner had the shot in the Elite Eight, just the overall game was, uh, I mean, just you could feel it through watching it. And I, w- I was at a different site that year. But I'm not surprised that Illinois, the Illinois fan base came out strong and pushed that onto our Final Four. In the round of 64... UMBC making it all the way through, not surprising, ultimately matched up against Bryce Drew's buzzer beater in 98. Uh, you know, that was against RJ Hunter's game winner. Um, that was a that was a a sweet 16 matchup. And UMBC, you know, routed route. It was a route. Um, and not surprising either that UMBC would advance in that in that bracket at all. Um, because it never happened before. In the round of 32 in the Sweet 16 in the Elite Eight, we ultimately had an all-Michigan Elite Eight, the Jordan Poole shot, which won a game in the second round against Houston versus the Trey Burke shot. So the Michigan fans had to be all over this, and they were. And once again, I think ultimately because of the significance, I'm not surprised that it prevailed because – that shot ultimately, you know, was a precursor to what we saw over the next five years for Michigan. So that's not a surprise. Okay, in the round of 64 bracket, you had UMBC taking out R.J. Hunter. It's a one versus 14. Now, the R.J. Hunter knocked off Bryce Drew, but not surprised at all, UMBC would advance. All right, so let's get to our guests because... We've got a guest for each of the final four teams in our March Madness bracket. From UMBC, Jarius Lyles. From Michigan, John Beeline. From Illinois, former head coach Bruce Weber. And from Villanova, Chris Jenkins. Let's start off with the round of 64. So in UMBC's upset of Virginia, Jarius Lyles ultimately was the key factor, the leading scorer. And what's interesting here is I think a lot of people would think that it might have been a close game. Well, it wasn't in the second half. So let's break it all down with Jarius Lyles of UMBC completing the first ever 16 over one. Incredible performance. Shock it all in college basketball. UMBC makes history in Charlotte. And now joining me here, March Madness 365, Jarius Lyles, formerly of UMBC, although in college basketball circles, he will always be known as from UMBC because in our March Madness moments, UMBC, which was a 16 over a one, is now a one seed in our final four. And we're talking to your former head coach, Ryan Odom, he thought there was sort of great irony in that uh, the 16 beats the one and then becomes the one. Uh, what do you think of uh, of that, that uh, we ranked you guys as a one seed of, of one of the best first-round moments in NCAA tournament history? Um, I just think, you know, what we did speaks for itself, man. I think, you know, we, we made history that night. So um, it's only right that <laughs> we're doing a hypothetical bracket that we are number one. So pretty, pretty funny. So in our bracket, you're in the final four. Uh, with uh, Trey Burke's shot uh, in the 2013 Sweet 16. Um, and then, uh, yeah, with Trey Burke's shot in the 2013. Um, and then the Elite Eight of 
uh, Illinois 2005 comeback against Arizona. Uh, and then, of course, the Chris Jenkins shot in 2016 to win the whole thing against North Carolina. Um, I feel pretty good that there's a good chance UMBC is going to be in that final against Chris Jenkins. Uh, if that does play out, I mean, how would you think about those in your lifetime? And I'm older than you, but I would say in my lifetime, those two moments stick out to me. The 16-1 and the Jenkins shot to win the whole thing. What about for you? Um, yeah, for sure. Um, and just me being from the DMV, um, Chris Jenkins hitting that shot, it was even you know more iconic for the DMV. And then a few, a few years later down the road, you know, we beat the, the number one seed to the 16 seed. And it was being from, you know, well, Baltimore, but around the DMV area. So it just shows, you know, how, how, how much talent and, you know, we got coming out of the DMV. So that would be very special. All right. So let's go back to that because they re-aired it a week ago Sunday. I think people forget this was a 20-point game. You know, when they think about a 16-1, you sort of assume, oh, it must have been a late possession win, you know, because it's a 16-1 or a 15-2 or something like that. But this was a 20-point win. You were tied at the half, and then you just steamrolled them in the second half. I mean, when you look back at that, how do you explain what happened in the second half to win by 20? Um, I think a lot of what happened in the second half had to do with, you know, what we were able to accomplish in the first half, you know, it being a tie score going into halftime, uh, nobody was really like, uh, oh, we played our best basketball in the first half or anything. So we knew we had another level to go to. And we knew that, you know, we came out strong and, you know, just continue, continue that fight through the second half that we have a shot at winning the game. Um, I, don't, I don't think anybody on the team thought we were going to win by 20, but we knew we could win that game. Why did you believe that? Because, uh, you know, it's, it's basketball, man. I mean, we, we we put in the same work they put in. You know, they high major, but you know, we put in the same work. We had we had a lot of dudes that, you know, thought could have been high major on our team. So it, at the end of the day, it's just basketball. It's about putting the ball in the hoop. And we had a lot of guys that could put the ball in the hoop that, that year on our team. So, you know, it, it played in our favor. Yeah, you had 28 points in 39 minutes. Uh, Joe Sherburn had 14. Uh, Lamar had 12. Um, I mean, this this was a squad. There's no question about it. But even before that, you guys upset Vermont in Burlington to just get the automatic bid out of the America East. So a week before, I mean, how confident were you uh, that you could pull this off? Um, you know, confident in the UVA game or the Vermont game? Well, that even that you were even going to make the tournament because you had to go on the road to Vermont. Oh yeah, I mean, Vermont had you know beaten us pretty good both times that. That year we played them, um, but I mean, we didn't play good basketball those those two games. We did play Vermont during our conference play, but uh, we knew that we were better than them, um, and that we had to put a full game together, um, and that we could do that. And then no better place to do that than at their home for the championship. So we went in there confident as a group, but nobody was scared, as you can see. Um, we played good as a team. It wasn't just a one man effort. We played good as a team that game. She was the UVA game. So this was a tournament in 2018 where Loyola Chicago made it all the way to the Final Four. So there had been, you know, these great moments and and, and other upsets and all that. Uh, why do you think your team, though, after this historic upset, wasn't able to continue the streak? Uh, that second game we played, we <laughs> the funny thing is we started off really good on them too. Um, we we that one hurts the most for us because we we felt like that we should have had that one, but. 
we just didn't make enough shots. I think, you know, the fatigue factor set in for us a lot. We had a lot of dudes playing 38 plus minutes all season and then going late, you know, to go late into that tournament, you got to have a deep, you got to have a deep team, deep roster. I'm saying that we didn't, but you know, a lot of our guys that play majority of the minutes, we have been doing that all year. So I think this is a key factor caught up to us. Um, no excuses, but we still had a chance to win that game. We just didn't make enough shots. We usually make more threes than what we did. We didn't make that many threes. I didn't have that good of a game. So, you know, if I have maybe five more points and we make three more threes, we win that game. Now, obviously, without a tournament uh, because of the global pandemic, um, it gets brought up a lot because everyone's looking for these great moments because we didn't have any this season. So, yeah. What's it like to know that you are a part of a moment that is getting replayed a lot now, and we know this will be replayed quite often for years to come? For sure. I mean, I think it's it's just it's still a special moment, um, and I think I can speak for the whole team and, and staff and even UBG community um, when I, when I say that's still a special moment for us. Um, you know, it will, it will continue to be a special moment for us um, down down the line, but just to, you know, continue to be talked about and, and, you know, until it's done again, you know, we will continue to be talked about. So that's the, that's the most exciting part about it is just seeing if it's able to be done again, whatever um, March matters, we can continue. Hey, one last thing, Jairus, I'm curious, uh, how much were you rooting for Virginia to avenge that and actually win it the year later? Yeah. I mean, I think it was, it was special for them. I think they had a, a another chip on their shoulder going into that tournament because they usually don't get that, that deep. Um, that that had been the you know just the stain on Virginia being so good during the regular season and then getting to the tournament and that maybe doing what everybody expected them to do. So for them to you know win that championship was was definitely special for them. Um, I, I wouldn't say I was rooting for them. I wasn't not rooting for them though because uh, we weren't in the tournament, so it wasn't like I was rooting for anybody. But it was you know they had a lot of close games and I was nailed by this, so it was, it was cool to watch that unfold throughout the tournament. Well, Jerry, I appreciate it. Um, stay safe, and uh, hopefully next season you'll be back, whether it's Germany or somewhere else, uh, continuing to play and enjoying life. And uh, I know that we'll we'll be remembering this for quite some time. Appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me. All right. So the question is: Can UMBC advance to our national championship game in our March Madness moments and possibly win the whole thing? Well, they first have to get by the Trey Burke shot, and the significance of that. The architect of that play, of that season, of that era of Michigan basketball was John Beeline. And here he is on that game. And now joining me here on March Madness 365, former Michigan head coach John Beeline and and John, in our final four, no surprise, uh, Trey Burke's shot to tie the Kansas game in 2013 in the Sweet 16, also in this in our final four of March Madness moments, the UMBC upset of Virginia in 2018, the Illinois comeback in 2005 in the Elite Eight, and of course, the Chris Jenkins buzzer beater in 2016. So it's pretty good company. Yes, it is. Let's go back to that game uh, with Trey Burke. What, what do you remember most? about that shot well the um we were, first of all we were down by a lot we were down by eight with about a minute and a half to go i mean people for think about that shot he made big plays up to that up to that point uh including forcing a a, a 10 second call uh but 
they I forget who it was at the foul line, but it was like a 75% shooter had to miss both with with probably 10 seconds to go, 12 seconds to go uh, for us to have a chance. And sure enough, he did. And Trey, I called a play called Rocket Pistol, which was you come off this ball screen by Mitch McGarry. If you're not open, you know, Tim Hardaway's, no, not Tim Hardaway, Nick Stouse can be coming around you. If you can't get it off, get, shoot it, then give it to Nick, let him shoot it in because we need a three. And uh, he ended up coming off that thing and he really wasn't open. So he just took a step backwards and Nick and got himself open. Although they had, we had a great screen by Tim and Mitch both set screens. And then he stepped back and I forget who it was. A long dude came out and contested him and he still knocked it in. Well, that, that entire game, that run in getting to that national championship game against Louisville was, was really remarkable. I mean, there were so many moments. Where does that one stand out for you? You know what, Andy? I always thought we were going to win it. Even when we're down late, I always thought we were going to still win it. And we made just enough plays to do it. But it's got to stand right at the top of certainly of that season because we had remarkable wins where they were blowouts against great teams. In VCU in Florida, that we, in, we got to enjoy the wins a little bit. They weren't as There wasn't as much drama. But that game right there, um, it didn't look good for a long time, but we certainly, uh, in overtime, uh, we really played well and got the W. And how much can we now look back and say that that ultimately that win, that shot, really launched this program in an unbelievable five-year run that you guys ultimately went on? Yeah, I think that would be uh, that would be right. I think of the that that sweet 16 I, I don't know somebody gave me the stat i think from that point on from that season on i think we might have led or one of the top two or three in the country in nca wins from that game on for, or from that that 13 on up all the way up until 19 um so we just were really we really were good and we started it get great great assistant coaches and Guard play was outstanding through all that run for us, and uh, a lot of really good players. A lot of them are still are are playing in the NBA today. So, in our Elite Eight matchup, uh, and Michigan fans were all over me, but I said, "Hey, look, I'm guaranteeing a Michigan team in in our March Madness moment Final Four. But we had to group different regions, so we had Sweet Sixteen and Second Round in one region." And in our Elite Eight, and this obviously shows uh, in the voting how Michigan fans come out, I had Trey Burke's shot versus Jordan Poole's shot, uh, and Trey Burke's ultimately won. So take me back to the Poole shot a few years later against Houston and what you remember most about that. Yeah, exact same scenario. They had a very good foul shooter at the line. He had to miss two. Now, we're, we're only down by two. But he had to miss one to give us a chance. He had to miss two to allow us to win it. And um, we have a play called Indiana that we work on uh, consistently in practice. And um, it ends up only working, right, uh, if you really spread yourselves and you're very unselfish. And uh, we get, we ended up having a great uh, throw in there by Isaiah Livers. Right, who's a baseball player? You know, you can't run a play if you don't have a guy that can really throw it in. And uh, fed Muhammad Ali, who took like two or three dribbles and 
you know, usually a guy shoots it because there's only like a minute, a second and a half on the clock. He found Jordan Poole on the right wing. And Jordan made a shot that was incredible. But you know what? He made it like the day before in practice when we ran. I don't know if we ran that play, but it was a last second situation play. He made the exact same shot almost from that side of the floor. So when he when he was running around crazy, uh, where were you? <laughs> I was uh, always thinking, is there any more time on the clock? Because we don't want to get a technical foul or we got to have our defense together so that they don't take it out. I believe we're out of timeouts so they don't have a chance to win. But at the same time, there was this, this ringing in my ears of I looked up at the ball and I heard the buzzer and I knew the ball was in the air. So stranger things have happened, but I, I was really confident we had to win, but really didn't know what to really didn't know what to do. My, my uh, grandchildren were behind me and they were all in tears. And I turned, turned cause we, cause we were going to lose that game. And I turned around and I saw their happy faces. Uh, it made it a great moment. Well, John, uh, we miss you dearly. Uh, now that you're effectively a free agent or could be, uh, <laughs> assuming we all get through this, which I know we will, uh, on the other side, hopefully in the fall, um, or, you know, in 21, 22, uh, what's next for John Beeline? You know, I, I, I don't know. I have a chance here at this, this terrible virus that has got us all, you know, uh, just, just stop in a stalemate. I think it's a, it's a great time for me to reflect and look at, you know, what's next for me. I'm healthy. I feel good. And just, you know, sort of get back to getting to know the family more better that 45 years, I, I missed a lot at the same time. I know my gut will tell me what I want to do as I, as I go further. Is it, is it back into coaching? Uh, is it in administration? Is it into, into, you know, the media, uh, TV, so I'm going to make a good decision there. I know that. And, um, but I'm not going to jump into anything until I can really look at the landscape, what it is now and in the years to come. Well, John, it'd be great, obviously, if I'm either working with you or covering you in some form next season or certainly the season after. I wish you and your family only the best. Thanks, Andy, very much. So I'm so happy to see this Illinois-Arizona game of the Elite Eight of 2005 get placed in our final four because it was an epic game that 05 Illinois team should go down as one of the best ever that didn't win a national championship. They were a few minutes away from potentially knocking off North Carolina in St. Louis. Um, Just an unbelievable team. So let's talk to the man who helped build that team, who coached it and was right there on the sidelines for Illinois in 2005. Here's Bruce Weber. Final minute. Luther hit. He hits the three. Oh, they don't call the foul, and D. Brown gets two. Williams could tie it with a three. He goes! Oh! Finally forced to shoot, and the ball game is over. Illinois in overtime advances to the final four. And now joining me here on March Madness 365, Bruce Weber. Now the head coach of Kansas State, of course. But uh, in 2005, he was the head coach of Illinois. And in our March Madness moments, that Elite Eight win over Arizona has reached our Final Four. It'll be opposite the Chris Jenkins shot in 2016, also in our Final Four, the UMBC upset of Virginia in 18, and the Trey Burke shot in 2013 over Kansas. Uh, Bruce, um, 
how surprised are you when we look at last quarter century or more, last 30 years of March Madness moments, that that Elite Eight win and the fan base, of course, of Illinois has pushed it into our March Madness Final Four? Well, I, I'm not surprised, to be honest. Uh, I know there were some, even that day, uh, there were some unbelievable games, um, overtime games, and there's always been, you know, the Christian uh, made the shot for Duke and all, you know, but to do what we did to come back with by that a margin, and then even as you get under two minutes, it's still, what, nine points or whatever, and and then to win the game, uh, it, it doesn't surprise me. I know it's the best moment for me and my coaching career as far as, you know, winning a game, a crazy game like that. And then when you think about going to the Final Four because of it, it's got to put it as a uh, an elite, elite game of all time. You know, I, I had Roger Powell on last week and we we're talking about it. And he said to this day, he's never been in a louder arena. That game was played at Allstate Arena. Uh, outside of O'Hare, uh, home away from home for Illinois. What, what do you remember about the the decibel level inside that building? Well, it's funny because I did a bunch of radio interviews uh, last week. And, you know, for me, you're in that zone and you don't hear all the noise. But at the end of the game, I still remember how it was just so loud. It was just amazing. And then when I watch it back on, on the replay, that's when you realize how loud it was because you hear the noise. But when you're coaching, you know, you're just you're just you're trying to communicate, getting across what you need to get across. And you just don't feel it. I'm sure the players that had, you know, take them to another level. You know, both teams were loaded with pros uh, when you look back at what's happened for both Illinois and Arizona um, in that game. What was it about that season, that group that had you believing that, you know what, even down like you were, you guys were going to prevail? Well, I always give Darren Williams credit for it. We're like at the four minute mark. I think it was when we were 15 or 13 down and, and Darren and I'm dying. Cause I mean, this is what we had shot for all year. You, you know, dominated college basketball. Uh, you beat the number one team, uh, Chris Paul and Wake Forest early in the year by 30 some points. And, and and now all of a sudden it might be gone. But Darren said in the huddle, hey, guys, coach always says concentrate on one possession at a time. We still have our goal there. Let's just chip at this thing. And, you know, it got our guys attention. And that's what they did. One play at a time just kept going. And um, so you got to give them credit, uh, you know, for doing it. But the whole year for and you were around it. Oh, yeah. I was at that Chris Paul game. Yeah. You know. For us to win, the attention we got, our guys to deal with that all year, we could not leave our practice facility. There were people waiting outside for for autographs. We had to take our players up kitchen elevators and hotels because people were waiting in the lobby. We had to have police on our players' floors in the hotels. We went to a movie at Northwestern, and our players got a standing ovation. We had to get security to get them out. Uh, before we played Northwestern up in that in the Chicago area, watching you know a night before a game, but they concentrated and you know really we're I always say we were two possessions from perfection. The last game of the year, Ohio State, we lead for 39 minutes and 52 seconds. The kid hits, I think it was Sylvester, is the player hits the three uh, for Ohio State to beat us, and and then our guys refocus and you go through the. Big Ten tournament, you run off those games all the way to the national championship. And even in the national championship, 
you know, Darren had a shot against Carolina to, and Luther had a couple to tie and we just couldn't get it done, but it could have been 39 and all very, very easily. You know, I, I've talked to so many coaches about the elite eight and how it, it, the agony of if you lose that game because you don't get to the Final Four and all the, the hoopla that surrounds that, and you always can remember the Final Four. Um, what's that pressure like of coaching an Elite Eight game, especially, as I said, in your backyard, in suburban Chicago, uh, when you're coaching Illinois? Yeah, as I said, I you know we got to that four-minute mark. I'm dying because this, you know, you you thought your, your heart is set on getting there, and that we had the team to do it, and it shows you how hard it is, and I – I was with Coach Katie at Purdue. You know, we had Glenn Robinson, and we couldn't get to it. We'd lose to Duke. And, you know, he had other times losing to Coach Bennett at Wisconsin. And it's not an easy thing to do, and there is a lot of pressure there. That quick turnaround, you don't have the time to really prepare. Um, Getting your guys focused. I I know with a couple years ago, my K-State team beating Kentucky, you get back. We got back to the hotel at 2 o'clock. There's fans there. There's families there. 2 a.m. And we're supposed to concentrate and then be at the arena to start doing media stuff the next morning. So it's it's tough to deal with. It's a lot of pressure. You got to have a mature team, and you got to you got to do things right. I mean, our team was really really good. I've I've had people rate our team as one of the greatest all time teams, and we didn't even win the national championship. And we had to do that to come back to get to the final four. And it shows you how tough it is. Well, Bruce, I appreciate it. Uh, I just hope more than anything you stay safe and uh, best to you and your family. And we'll get through this on the other side. And I know you'll be uh, coaching Kansas State up in the Big 12 here. Uh, hopefully, uh, you know, when we start the season in November. Yeah, thank you. Same to you. Stay healthy, all the fans. We just got to stay together. You know, we always tell our teams the best teams are the ones that listen and they're coachable and do their role. And right now we got to be all coachable as a nation, as communities. We got to do what we're supposed to play our role and, and hopefully beat this uh, virus. And, and then, then it's going to take a little time to come back. It's not going to be easy. So we've never dealt with it, something like this, but our country and in history has really, it's, it stood up and stayed together. And, and that's what we got to do right now. Well, appreciate it, Bruce. All the best to you. Thank you, Andy. All right. So now we got an unbelievable matchup coming up in in our final four between 2005 Illinois versus 2016 Villanova. If you haven't seen it, if you haven't heard it, this is exactly how it went down. With Archie Diakono, three seconds at midcourt. Jenkins gives it to Jenkins for the championship. All right, so here he is, the man who hit the shot, the iconic shot, not just in Villanova history, but in college basketball history, Chris Jenkins of Villanova. We are now into our final four of March Madness moments, and of course, the Chris Jenkins shot in 2016 made the cut onto the final four. Uh, Some would argue maybe a bit of an upset because it knocked out in our fan polling the 1983 NC State victory over Houston uh, and now onto the final four. So Chris, let's first deal with our bracket. Um, I'm sure you were following this when, when you saw that you guys were matched up against NC state, which is an iconic, you know, video that everyone's seen because of Jimmy V and 83 and all that. what do you think your chances were that your shot, your team would advance to our final four? 
Uh, I was definitely thinking that, you know, I would have lost to one of those teams, like you said, in the bracket, you know, because there was just so many great moments. So I was just happy to be a part of it all. Like I was I was honored. I was humbled. And it was just exciting. I just wanted to see how far I could go because, you know, I have no control over these things, but it's just a great thing to be a part of and a great thing to see that, you know, people think so highly of a moment that we shared in 2016. All right, so advancing into our bracket, I think there's a good chance that you could get to the national championship uh, versus UMBC. And I think about it, you know, because they're in the Final Four as well. And, you know, the last five years, really the last 20 years, you could argue, those two moments really stand out to me as two of the most defining moments, the 16-1 and your shot. For you, as someone younger than I am that's watched the game, that's played the game, uh, where do these two moments rank for you? Yeah, they were definitely two of the, the greater moments of of the generation, for sure, just because it was kind of like the first of each, you know, the first 16 seed to be the one seed and then the first game winner three at the buzzer as time expired. So it was definitely two great, great moments. All right, so CBS re-aired it uh, over the last week. I think it was a week ago Sunday. Um, did you get a chance to watch it? I did. I did get a chance. <laughs> All right, so what, and now that you see it, um, not on tape, but just, you know, actually could watch it on television. I mean, w- what were your thoughts about the way the entire thing unfolded? It, I mean, it couldn't have. It couldn't have finished any better, obviously, for us because we won. But just the the highs and lows of the game, it was just a great game overall. Like, I think that game goes down as one of the best national championship games of all time, for sure, just because of the back and forth and the intensity. You know, I was talking to Jay Wright last week about it, and as he watched it, and even though he had seen, uh, you know, um, sort of just little highlights – but to see it all play out again in real time, you know, one thing that jumped out to him was how close Daniel Chefu was to the steal. Uh, I think it was before Marcus Page's three. And then also just how seamless. And you and I, you, you, we've talked for years now about this. I went there after and we recreated it and you were able to do it, I think, like nine of 11 times um, or some. It was a high percentage. Yeah, it was something like that. But, um, you know, how seamless it was when you see it again how you were in rhythm, uh, you know, arches past you, just everything just worked perfectly. Like a, a, a scriptwriter could not have scripted it any better because, you know, then the, the confetti and, and everything, just everything on cue. So let's go back to the page shot when you saw that. What jumped out to you as to how well that worked for Carolina versus how close it was for Nova to actually prevent it? Yeah, I mean, Daniel, Daniel basically had to steal. You know, he was right there. It's just he he mistimed it a little bit. And, you know, Marcus just hit a, a crazy shot that you were probably only shooting like horse when you're young, just trying to do something to make the game interesting. You know, like you usually don't see a, a double clutch kick shot like that at any point during any game. So for him to make that shot, the degree of difficulty was high. And it was, you know, it was a, a clutch moment. Uh, so when he made the shot, we were just thinking like, you know, we still have time. So, you know, let's see if we can end this game in regulation. Like, <laughs> no need for overtime. We don't need overtime. All right. So what do, what do you remember about the moments in between that shot? Because there was a timeout, wasn't there? There was. A, we oh, did right. call a timeout. Yeah. So, so what do you remember that, about that huddle 
uh, before you came out? Uh, you know, we had a saying at Villanova, we say attitude, we just next play. So everybody was saying attitude. We knew what play we were going to run because we practice end of the game situations. You know, we practice that every day in practice. So we knew what play we were going to run. And, uh, you know, after our timeout ended, you know, there's a little, I'm pretty sure somebody could find it where Arch and I are walking down the court. And, you know, I basically tell him, like, I don't think they're going to put anybody on the passer because no team has done that. My whole year taking the ball out. Um, for the most part, most teams didn't guard the inbounder. So I told Arch that while we were walking down, like, man, I, I think I might be open because they're, they're not going to put anybody on the ball. So that was a, a, a moment in between the, the timeout and when the play started. And the other thing, and I remember we all talked about this when I was there, um, you know, like a month later, I, I still am uh, still amazed because so many people want to be the hero if you are in that position, if you know you can make the shot. And Arch knows he could make that shot. And yet you were in a better position to make it, but he still could have tried to launch it. When you look back about that decision by him not to take it and to give it to you, what do you think? It says a lot about him. Like I said, he's one of the best teammates that I've ever had. He just knows how to play basketball. He makes the right play. And for a senior... You know, Villanova seeing his parents went like, so he was a Villanova kid. His parents went there. His little brother goes there now. So like it, Villanova is their family. So for him to have that moment and for him to just stay true to what we do, which is, you know, Villanova, we just play the game the right way. We make the extra pass. We trade in a good shot for a great shot because he could have got off a good shot, but he gave it to me because he thought I had a better one. So, while you're watching it a week ago Sunday and you know the outcome uh how much did you you know audibly gasp yell what you know as you you know it's still gonna happen and yet you're watching it I think I was just I was thinking what I was thinking in those moments just make the shot like it's just nothing to it just we practice this like I practiced catch and shoot my whole life so it was just just lock in Mama mentality all the way through. Just win the game. No need for overtime because I hate overtime anyway. So as the years have passed on, and now we're on four years, believe it or not, um, how amazed are you as we talked at the beginning of this, how much of an iconic shot this has become? I mean, it, it's it's definitely an honor. It's crazy to me because, you know, you always dream of making a shot, but you just don't know what comes with it. And as you get older, you kind of realize the magnitude because, you know, it's been replayed every year after that, you know, almost on every commercial leading up to Marsh Madness and things of that nature. So it's, um, it's great. You know, I'm honored. And like I always say, man, I had some great teammates as we can see now, because a lot of them are doing well in the NBA professionally in Europe. So we all fit well together. <laughs> all right. So Chris, for those that don't know, you were playing in Germany a year ago, uh, but then a hip injury had sidelined you and brought you back home to rehab. Where are you at? And, and I know we're in a global pandemic, so you can't do everything you normally would. But prior to this, where where were you in your recovery and your rehab? Yeah, my, my process was going well. I was getting my range of motion and my strength back and my flexibility. So, you know, my process is still going. You know, I still do stuff on my own to to make sure that my hip is is still getting better. And, you know, that's just where we are right now. Right now, just worried about being safe, getting through this and making sure that, you know, we come out on the positive side. Everybody's staying healthy. Everybody practicing 
social distancing and and getting the necessary food, water, and everything that they need to make sure that we push through this. That's the main focus right now, for sure. Of course, and I echo those thoughts. In a best-case scenario, if we can return to some sort of normalcy, obviously, in the fall, um, where do you hope you'll be? I mean, hopefully I'll be getting ready to go somewhere to play, You know, whether that be in Europe, whether that be the G League or training camp or anything. Just when the time is right and all that stuff comes, we'll, we'll tackle it when it gets here. Well, Chris, I appreciate it. You've given us a moment for our lifetimes, uh, something we're always going to cherish. And uh, I think you're right. I think he's got a good shot to win our March Madness moments uh, because it was the first uh, of its kind in the history of the tournament. Chris, stay safe, stay healthy. I appreciate you and and, uh, take care. Thank you. Same to you. Everybody stay safe. All right. So time for my predictions. Here's what I think will and should happen. In the round of 64 matchup versus the round of 32 slash Sweet 16, UMBC number 16 seed over Virginia versus Michigan Trey Burke 2013 Michigan over Kansas. I think it should be UMBC. I think it will be. But this is going to be interesting because the Michigan fan base dwarfs UMBC. So if UMBC is going to win this, they're going to need the national vote to come through for UMBC because Michigan alone, its alumni, could easily get this victory if they come out and vote. So that's going to be really interesting to see how this plays out. My gut tells me UMBC wins because it was more significant, but the Michigan fan base could surprise us here. All right. In the other matchup, we've got 05 Illinois, Chris Jenkins. Once again, bigger fan base, Illinois, more dramatic, Villanova. I think it should be Villanova, but maybe I'll be surprised. Maybe Illinois will come through. So I'm going to stick with my prediction of what I think it should be, which is UMBC versus Villanova. And in this championship matchup, I think it has to be Chris Jenkins. I think it has to be the shot, the script that no one could have written because no one would have believed it. The three-pointer by Marcus Page at the other end, the Chris Jenkins shot to win it, the confetti, the boom, the pylon, the Jay Wright walk to Roy Williams. To me, it's the shot of the century in college basketball. Um, So I think it should win. And I think if it's matched up against either, it will win. Even though the fan base isn't there in comparison to Illinois and Michigan, it would dwarf the fan base of UMBC. So I'll be very interested to see how the voting plays out over the weekend. We will reconvene next week. More than anything, everyone stay safe, stay inside, enjoy these interviews, enjoy our content as we try to keep everyone a little engaged here as we try to uh, make sense of it all um, during this global pandemic, hearing from the voices and the people that were involved in these epic moments in college basketball. For everyone associated with our Turner Sports team that is doing an outstanding job in all their remote locations, putting this together, I deeply appreciate all of them. Chad Acock, Michael Kaplan, Abby Stoles, and everyone else behind the scenes. We appreciate it deeply. Stay safe, everyone, and we'll talk to you next week.